Let us pray. Your word was made flesh in Jesus Christ. Your word changes our hearts. Your word gives us new life. So open us, O God, this day and illuminate our minds and hearts that we can hear and meet your word through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Old Testament lesson is from the book of Deuteronomy, the 11th chapter, beginning with verse 18. One of the important parts of the Jewish tradition is called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. The passage I'm about to read talks about these words, though it doesn't quote them directly. So now listen for God's word in Deuteronomy 11. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We continue this fall looking at the Gospel of Matthew. We started a few weeks ago and saw Jesus baptized in chapter 3. Chapter 4, we saw Jesus call his first disciples, students, to to follow me. Chapter 5, we started into the Sermon on the Mount and and some of Jesus' most well-known teachings about what it is to follow Jesus. Chapter 6, last week, we looked at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, the very center section, the Lord's Prayer. And today we reach chapter 7, and the portion we're going to read from chapter 7 is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, the very culmination, the space where Jesus decides to wrap this up, this his most central teaching. Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When we moved to Richmond and we were looking for a house, we quickly discovered how hot the housing market was. A handful of houses we were interested in and just the surrounding neighborhoods went off the market in just a few days' time. We lost out on one we, we, we loved. There were multiple bids. All that happened in one day and and it, and it went to somebody else. So when the house we now live in came on the market, and we had a sense that it could be a great fit on a number of fronts, we quickly moved along with a host of other bidders, and actually we, we sweetened the offer by saying we would 
forgo the home inspection as part of the buying process. Well, we got the house, and we eventually did our own home inspection. It turned out all was in order. But it took us about a year before we got up the wherewithal to tell all of uh, both sets of our, our parents about that aspect of the home buying process. And I know some of you with adult children have told me how it's always a dance with how you're sometimes involved with uh, your adult child's life. You want to be involved, be present, even offer wisdom and advice from time to time where you see it might be especially helpful, needful. But you also want to respect their space, their life, their decisions. There's this line you talk about sometimes navigating. And I can just remember when our folks found out about foregoing the home inspection during the buying process. Parents on both sides of the family went into full parental mode they care not for the line at all. Never forgo the home inspection. That's crazy. Very true. They were right. Who would live in a house without first inspecting the foundation? It's a question Jesus is pressing us to consider this morning when he points out that all of us actually are currently in the home building process. Consciously or unconsciously, all of us are building a life. All of us are building a family. All of us are building a church. And some of us are like one kind of person who builds on a rock, and some of us are like the other one who builds on sand, but we're all building. And the thing is, not only are both people busy building day by day, but when the sun is out like it is this morning and it's shining beautifully, both houses may look very much alike. A friendly, pleasant entrance, thoughtful decor, warm ambiance, lovely finishes. When things are well, how many are the people who are friendly and pleasant, thoughtful, warm, and lovely? Jesus is clear that the real character of a house will be known when the rains fall and when the floods come and when the winds beat mercilessly. And notice Jesus does not say, if the rains come and the floods come and the rain, winds come. Jesus assumes, along with re really the rest of the witness of Scripture, that if you are alive and you are on this earth, then rains and floods and winds will be known. And each of those is not just some kind of minor inconvenience or even a particularly difficult situation. Each of those are forces that threaten the very stability and foundation of a person, of a church. Jesus is, is speaking about our homes being hit with the kind of forces that are beyond our ability to just control or maneuver or fix. And as we've seen again around the world, it is incredibly terrifying to have those kind of forces befall a people. It's worth noting for a moment the promise Jesus makes for those whose house is built on rock is that through the terrifying storm, the house stands. Which is to say the promise Jesus has is not once one makes it through the, the rains of divorce or the floods of bankruptcy or the winds of searing tragedy or, or heartache or famine or war that then the faithful house grows. The faithful house becomes bigger and stronger and more luminous having made it through the storm. Sometimes I think we start to think 
That if we walk by faith, then, then, then our gracious God will eventually start to bless us in abundance for our faithfulness. Maybe. Maybe not. For Jesus, right here, the, the promise to the faithful is simply that the house still stands. And that in and of itself is a great and worthy thing. And honestly, if you have known the ferocity and intensity of an impossible storm far beyond your control, if you've known that in your own life, then you probably well know that if the house is simply still standing, that really is a profound gift. Jesus is abundantly clear about how to go about being a well-foundationed person, a well-foundationed church. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like the wise man who built on rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like the foolish man who built on sand. Those who act on these words of mine, referencing in a specific way the Sermon on the Mount, but certainly all of Jesus' words. Admittedly, I think there's something deep within our Protestant DNA that at some level resists this, this notion that one, all one needs to do is act or do Jesus' words. We hold near and dear that we are saved by grace alone, not by good works, not by good actions. Very true. But faith and works are nevertheless intimately and inseparably bound. The book of James, you may recall, puts it this way. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. Works are the visible expression of a genuine faith. They go hand in hand. Or again, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great 20th century theologian from Germany, in, in his Cost of Discipleship, he really presses the implications of Jesus' words and James' words when he writes, For faith is only real when there's obedience. Action. And faith only becomes faith in the act of obedience. Hear that last line again. Faith only becomes faith in the act of obedience. Not only are faith and works intimately bound together, he asserts that, that somehow it's only in leaning forward in obedience that, that this, this kernel of faith, this gift of faith, actually finds itself brought into vitality and form. It reminds me of a portion of Annie Dillard's book, The Writing Life, which, as you might expect from that title, it's a book about the writing process. And at one point she writes about how one learns to write. And, and some of you heard a little bit of this in Sunday school last week. Who will teach me to write? A reader wanted to know. And one can imagine Annie Dillard responding to her own self-prompted reflection with something like, Who will teach you to write? Attend writing conferences at these notable schools and notable conferences. Study the great writers. Study with them. Listen to them read their works. Dillard's response to who will teach me to write, the page, the page, the blankness of eternity on which you cover slowly the page, which you cover woodenly, ruining it, but asserting your freedom and power to act, acknowledging that you ruin everything you touch, but touching it nevertheless, because acting is better than being here in mere opacity, the page will teach you to write. The way you learn to write is to write. To act is better than being here in mere opacity. 
lack of clarity. It's a similar wisdom with many endeavors. You can only study cooking so long before you realize that to learn to cook, you must, however imperfectly, cook. To learn to paint, paint. To drive, drive. And to know a living, growing, vital, foundationed faith in Jesus, follow Jesus. Do his word the things he's taught, fully acknowledging that you ruin everything you touch, but touching it nevertheless, as Dillard puts it. For always we do. We step forward imperfectly. We step forward as sinners. We step forward with our doubts, our confusions. We step forward seeing through a glass darkly. But fundamentally, the wise builder steps In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has taught some of the most prominent action items into which we step. Some of them, the action items that go into building a house on rock. Love your enemies. Give without regard to whether or not anyone sees or knows. Reconcile with those who have something against you. Don't store up treasures on earth that moss and rust destroy, but, but treasures in heaven. Do not worry. Consider the lilies, consider the birds. Seek first the kingdom of God. Deal with the plank in your own eye before you deal with the speck in the others. And then Jesus ends this sermon full of such teachings, such doings, not with a direct call to action, not with a three-step plan for implementing each action according to priority. Instead, he goes with this story about two men and their two houses upon two foundations. And I think he ends the the sermon with this image because that really is the last image he wants to leave the hearers with. He wants us to consider the two houses and the two foundations. More specifically, he wants us to recognize we are all building houses. And we would be wise to consider which of the foundations we are building upon. What would we see if we actually peered into the foundation of our lives? Of our church? Now that may seem like trying or scary or difficult work at some level and and yet I think we also all readily intuit you never forego the home inspection that would be crazy is there anything more potentially costly than building a house and never considering the foundation so what would it look like to do a fresh home inspection this week to slowly pour over the words of the Sermon on the Mount in the coming week and and prayerfully consider the ways Jesus' words are finding reflection in our lives, our actions, our churches. Or, Or confessing the ways they're not finding expression and asking God's courage to step into those expressions, however imperfectly. And then I think any faithful home inspection always is giving thanks throughout because Jesus does promise in the gospel of John my father is always at 
work. God is always measuring and hammering and building faithfully alongside us, by grace, even through us and despite us. He cannot help but be faithful. Can you imagine the strength of a people, a church, who regularly did home inspections? Can you imagine a church where where the people were acting routinely upon love your enemy, reconcile, do not worry, seek first the things of God's kingdom. Jesus has a phrase to describe a church filled with lots of houses clustered together and situated upon just such a foundation. Earlier in his Sermon on the Mount, he calls that church a city on a hill. Fortified. By the resurrection power and grace of Jesus Christ. May we stand as such. Amen.